Welcome to the State of Fem Art Podcast, a space where we drive conversations around what it means to be woman creatively and artistically in today's industry. A place where women from various walks of life share their experiences, triumphs, and obstacles as they navigate the state of the world and their creativity. This is a safe space. One where women are celebrated for being fearlessly and unapologetically them. It is a space of belonging for those who feel their artistic and creative endeavors have gone unseen, unheard, or unsupported. But here you will also get resources and tools to help you reach your next level. We'll laugh together, cry together, but more importantly, we'll grow together. I am Tamia Faulkner, and this is The State of Fem Art. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The State of Fem Art podcast. We're so happy you're here listening. Today's guest, I'm really excited to speak to and just to really jump into um, a conversation that I've been waiting to have for quite some time. Michelle Hernandez, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing awesome. I'm doing awesome. I I want to jump right in. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do? Yeah. Um. So as Mia said, I'm Michelle Hernandez. I am a we are um filmmaker as well as a Latina filmmaker. I am Native American, and I kind of got my start when I was in high school. I had watched the film. Um, about natives on the res, um, which is a reservation, and I realized that you could make films about the res and about native people. And after that, I got a camera from my grandfather and kind of started making movies all over the place. And then I went to school at Humboldt State University, where I got a double major in film and Native American studies. Um, but I didn't really do much with that degree because I took kind of a year off. And realized that I needed to leave um, my community or the res because there was so much more out there. And so that the way I did that was I went to grad school in Washington, D.C., where I actually happened to meet my partner, um, Richie Winsler. And we started a production company together um, well, a couple months ago where we made it official. And ever since grad school, I've kind of been on the go with making films. I made a short film called Duke, which launched my career. And um, now I just make films full time. That's awesome. I want to get into the type of stories that you aim to tell, because I think a lot of filmmakers, when they initially get started, of course, you're trying to figure out the type, the types of stories you want to tell, or maybe what your niches, whether you want to go horror, whether you want to do more romantic comedies, whether there are stories that aren't being told that you want to bring to the forefront. So what has that journey been like for you in discovering first the type of stories that you want to tell? And then what type of stories do you want to bring to the forefront as a filmmaker? Yeah, so when I started out, I actually thought I wanted to do documentaries. Um, And then I realized that wasn't kind of what I wanted to do. And so for a couple years, I was doing that and then realized I really like telling narrative stories um, or live action stories. And I created the short called Duke that kind of made me realize that 
And um, from there on, I've been doing narrative work, um, narrative short work, but it's also funny because it kind of came full circle and I started doing um, documentaries again. That's what I'm actually working on right now. Um, but the way I came to realize what I wanted to do was, um, of course, like I said at the beginning, was watching a film um, called Smoke Signals, which is about this young man who's on the journey um, of um, not meeting his father, but spreading his father's ashes, um, picking them up because his father has passed away, but he goes on this journey with his cousin. Um, and so they're leaving the res to go where his father's at. And so that kind of sparked this interest of, I want to tell stories um, from my community. I want to be that native director that tells the stories that people haven't heard of. And what makes it really unique is often when we see native people on the screen, um, we see a lot of stereotypes, we see a lot of Westerns or um, films from the past. And I really wanted to break that cycle. I wanted to break those stereotypes and I wanted to um, tell more modern stories about us because we're everyday people and I don't think people realize that. And then, um, so I've been on that journey to tell those stories, but I'm going back to um, the first story I've ever really told about my community was Duke, um, which is a period piece. As I said, I'm trying to break those stereotypes, but I really felt it was important to tell that story because a lot of people um, don't know about the native boarding school experience, which is about, um, and from like the early 1900s to 1970, which isn't that long ago, Native children were required to go to these boarding schools, and they faced a lot of abuse there. Um, they weren't allowed to practice their culture, traditions, or language, and that's why a lot of our languages and our culture is asleep. Um, I never want to say we lost it, because there are ways for us to bring it back. It's just sleeping right now, and it's waiting to be awakened. Um, going back to Duke, I wanted to tell that story because um, I was shocked that not many people people knew about boarding schools. So that was my way of educating people and telling a story about my community and other native communities who face this, um, these horrible incidents. And now I'm making, um, you know, films about my uncle Rick, um, who was a native artist, um, who I didn't realize how big he was until I did these projects, but he's a modern day person who's no longer with us, but he was doing art. And so I wanted to make films about that. I used his artwork to make an animation um, to talk about kind of the things as Native people we're facing and how we are resilient and bringing back our traditions and cultures, and I really think that's important. And then I also made a dance video about his relationship, um, because relationships are something that everyone has, whether it be love or family or friendship, and so I feel like everyone could relate to that. So that's some of the type of work I do. Um, and I'm also kind of branching out into comedy. I really like to tell funny stories, um, but I'm kind of gearing more into the fantasy side because I haven't really seen Native or um, Asian or Black communities more in that. And so I want to help tell those stories and bring more diversity to that. Yeah, I want to talk about there's uh, something that you that you mentioned, actually a few things that you mentioned that I want to go into a bit further. And the first is the media representation of Native and Indigenous people and sort of some of the stereotypes that are out there. And I want to talk about that because I think when it comes to telling stories, it is very important that people who are 
underrepresented, especially in media, especially when it comes to Native and Indigenous um, people that I I feel is very important for Native and Indigenous people to tell their own stories, um, just like it is for other cultures who are, are underrepresented and also misrepresented in media. Can you talk about some of those stereotypes um, that are common, that you commonly see and how we can work to address uh, those stereotypes, but also advocate for Native and Indigenous um, people to be represented in a way that honors their um, culture and traditions. Yeah, of course. Well, there's one thing that you touched on that I really like um, what you said is that there's enough of us to tell our stories. I don't think we need outsiders. And I think this is within every community um, to come tell our stories. I think the best people to tell the Indigenous stories, Asian stories, um, stories like that are people from those communities because I feel like we were the best people to tell them. Um, you know, growing up, you've always seen the Stoic Indian, um, the Native who's connected to the earth. You see, you know, Plains Indians. A lot of people think that there's only one type of Native person, which there's so many, I believe there's like 562 federally recognized tribes within the United States. And that's just federally recognized. Um, tribes and federally recognition means that the government, I guess, gives us a number and we're like, it's a weird thought. Um, but there's tribes who, oh, and we get benefits or we can apply for certain grants from the government um, in that way. And then there's tribes who are not federally recognized um, who don't have those benefits. So there's so many more tribes than just, you know, the number that they give. But going on um, about that is that we're all very unique and different from each other. Um, I'm a northern coastal California native. I don't live in a teepee. Um, that was something that baffled my mind as a child. I remember being 12 and hanging out with my cousins and their friends and telling them, oh, I'm native. And they thought, oh, well, you don't look native. And do you live in a teepee? And I was just baffled by that because I was like, no. And I also corrected them. I was like, even if, you know, we did live back then it wasn't teepees it was like these redwood plank houses and so that was kind of my first way of educating people and so when I want to tell my stories I want to make sure um my characters if they're native they're Wea or Yurok or um Hoopa which Yurok and Hoopa are my neighboring cousin tribes um because I feel like we have very similar you know cultures and styles and I want to be able to represent that side of California and those tribes and my tribe um because I feel like I I or Yurok or Hoopa filmmaker could tell them the best way um, because we have those cultures, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I think ways to break those stereotypes is to kind of stop putting us in the past and making us more present. And I also think it's um, giving those opportunities to those filmmakers, those writers, those producers, so that they can be able to tell their stories. Because again, there's so many of us that can tell our stories. I don't think non-Natives, um, I think non-Natives can stop telling them um, but allow us that option. I want to I want to go back to your your feature film and speaking about making sure that um indigenous people are able to tell their own stories and you know there's more than enough <laughs> in the community to be able to bring those those stories to the forefront so that people don't have the misconceptions that we often see um, portrayed on screens when they don't <laughs> and they aren't telling, you know, their own stories. And I want to bring it back to Duke, your debut um, film as a film filmmaker, because I got the opportunity to 
actually see it. And I had no idea, no knowledge of the boarding school experience. And if I'm correct, you got the opportunity to shoot that um, film, to shoot Duke on the reservation, right? So I actually got to shoot, it wasn't a reservation. Um, I shot Duke on a state park, but I got to shoot it in a traditional village in that state park. Um, The Yurok tribe was nice enough to allow me to shoot on their territory. Again, like I probably mentioned earlier, um, the Yuroks are very similar in tradition and culture to us. I mean, we also, I have cousins that are Yurok. Um, we're so entwined, intertwined with our, you know, each other's tribes and cultures. But yeah, that was a great opportunity. So when I got to shoot Duke, originally, I've always wanted to shoot it um, in Northern California at Sumig because they still have traditional villages. And I wanted it to be as authentic as I could get it um, to be. And so that was kind of the tricky part because at the time I was living in Washington, D.C. And um, I remember telling my producers, you know, and filmmaking is kind of pricey, as we know. Um, so we had a budget and my producers were like, well, if we don't raise the money, you should probably really think about shooting it in D.C. We can shoot it in a forest. And I was like, OK. But in my head, I was like, no, we're going to shoot it um, where I'm from in Northern California. And so I remember we had this emergency meeting. We were trying because we thought we were going to sh- shoot the film earlier, which ended up months later. We were going to we sh- shot it, um, but I brought my producer with me, and um, she got to see the beauty of where I'm from. And I remember at one point um, I had talked to my mentor. She had taken me and my producer out to lunch, and I said, "Hey, I want to ask if you shoot in Sumig." because her family helps run the village. That's where her family's from. And she's like, yeah, that's fine with me, but you have to ask my grandma and you have to ask um, Walt, who's another elder. And that terrified me. So I was like, oh no, like, what if they say no? Um, so I did my whole spiel. Um, and it was funny because she said, oh, well, let me take you out to the village because they're there. So we went, I asked, I pitched it. Um, there was silence, so I was a little scared. But of course they said yes. And I remember Walt, um, who's a Yurok elder, had pointed to a house and was like, you should film it in this house, you should get drones. It was really funny, but like I was relieved. And after saying that, I think, um, I remember my producer kind of whispering in my ear and saying, oh, we're gonna shoot Duke here. And I laughed and I, and she, well, she said, also forget um, the backup plan or forget backup plan B. And I laughed and I said, oh, there was never a backup plan. We we're always going to shoot here. Um, so I think it gives, you know, that was really special. But I also think shooting um, back home gave it that authenticity. And also people get to see the beauty of where um, my ancestors live and where I'm from. And I think it gives it, again, more of that authentic, authenticity. I cannot say it, but um, it makes it more authentic. Um, which I'm really appreciative and grateful for. How was that experience being able to shoot there in in the village after, you know, asking the elders, giving your pitch, saying like, okay, and knowing from the very beginning, this is where I am going to shoot this. Like, this is where I am going to debut my my film as a filmmaker. what was that experience like being there and working with your production team and getting the opportunity to, you know, shoot this story and tell the story and then run it on the film festival circuit? Yeah, it was an amazing feeling. I'm again, I'm so grateful um, for the opportunity to film there just because I don't know if many people get to film up in Patrick's Point or I mean, bigger budgets, you know, get to have the opportunity but oftentimes I don't think there's been a film shot at Sumig um so that it was just it was amazing and I felt really grateful for that opportunity and also I was grateful 
that my team wanted to support this and came out to shoot it with me, um, you know, the production team. And I think one of my favorite memories is, you know, oftentimes you live in a place and you see it over and over again. I mean, I'm from Northern California, so where I grew up was on a bluff and there's the bay on one side and the ocean on the other. And there's a bunch of, you know, redwoods. But growing up, you're like, oh, that's cool, you know, because you see it every day. And um, when I moved away, I wanted to get away from all that because that's what I've seen, you know, my entire life. And then I realized how much I missed it and how much I appreciated it through um, my team's eyes because I got to show them around Sumig. I got to show them around um, Humboldt County, the county I grew up in. And to see their eyes light up being like, oh, my gosh, you grew up here. Um, and not just that you grew up here, but this is, you know, this area is where you're from. These are where your roots are. Um, it made it changed the perspective um, for me, you know, to not only shoot a movie there, but to also welcome other people um, to help me with this film and to feel the beauty of where I'm from. Um, I hope that makes sense. But that was incredible. And then allowing, you know, being allowed to film there, but also being able to go and run in the film festivals to show other people the beauty of where I'm from. Um, I really appreciated it. And I think one thing about the film um, that we really wanted to point out is that um, the landscape that, you know, the area that it's filmed was also a character in itself. Um, we have a lot of wide shots because we want people to take that in and realize that the, this area where, you know, the characters are living in, they respect it as well, and they see it as another person as well. So we wanted that to shine through the film. It really did. A lot of those shots were so beautiful. And I think what you said makes a lot of sense because a lot of the times when we're from a place and we have grown up there all of our lives, we've been there all of our lives, a lot of times we don't really or we forget to appreciate it as much as people coming to visit those places or people who are not um, from our our hometown or our area. Um, so I think, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense as to why your crew was just like, oh my gosh, like you lived here, you grew up here, this is amazing. And then you're going back and you're like, you know what, like, it really is beautiful. I really do appreciate, you know, growing up, growing up here and being able to see and take in everything that um, I have. Yeah, it definitely changes your perspective. Um, I just, I get excited now. I mean, moving away too also made me realize how much I missed home. I, I mean, I love DC. That's where I was living for a good portion of my time in grad school. Um, but I also, when I moved there, I was like, oh, where's the ocean? Where's the trees? you start missing things and then getting to go back home and shoot my film. I was so happy about it because I got to be home for longer and now I get to go home a lot. Um, so Duke helped me appreciate it and helped me realize how much I do love home. That's so amazing. So just, just to segue here, what, what do you wish people knew when, when it comes to sensitivities about communicating with and telling the stories of Native and Indigenous people, I know this is something I talk about a lot because I have just a passion for language, culture, and meaning. Of course, we know across cultures, 
there are different things that are interpreted in different ways. There are um, different things that are offensive in some racial and ethnic groups that may not necessarily be offensive if you travel to a different country. And so I think it's very important that as we learn to create together, as we learn to appreciate the stories and cultures of others that we also take into consideration some of the things that we should be mindful of when um, communicating with or partnering um, with people of all different cultures to tell their stories. So for you, what have been some of those common um, sensitivities or things when it comes to language, culture, and meaning that you think people should be mindful of? Yeah, um, I think one thing is when you are making a project with Native subjects on it, kind of look at who's on your team. And that's one thing now that I'm getting, you know, asked to be on projects and stuff, I want to see who's on the team. And if there's not representation on that team, um, then it makes me very hesitant to be on the project because am I, you know, the token native that they need for this project? So that's why I get hesitant because, you know, am I there just to make it okay? Or are they really going to listen to me? And are we going to hire more um, native people for that project? Um, so that's one thing I look at. Another thing is, you know, if you're doing a project, Think about, are you the right person to do that project? Or can you start that idea and hire on a director or a producer that has more of a say on it and you be the support for that project? I think that's something else to look at. Um, Because again, like I said, there's so many Native people that can tell our stories. And I think we can have more of an authenticity to telling that story um, than, you know, non-Natives. And then the other thing is, kind of look at, um, you know, read articles and see what's coming out and seeing like what Native people are saying are offensive. Um, Also, make sure you have a Native person if you're having Native language or cultural practices, ask them if it's okay to represent that. Because in my tribe, there's certain things that, you know, we can't show or take photos of. And I'm mindful of that. Make sure they're from that tribe. Because I would never, you know, if it was a Navajo story, I would never be a coordinator on that story. Um, because I don't have the Navajo experience. I, again, am Wea. I may be able to tell your Rock and Hoopa stories, but I'd also ask the tribe if it was okay for me to tell those stories. Um, So I think that's one thing is if you're going to get a coordinator or someone to look out for making sure that you're doing something right with the story, make sure that person is from that tribe um, that's being represented in that film. That makes total sense. And how how can we support and um, find films by more women in film who are Native? Because I really feel there is a lack. I don't see too many authentic Native stories being told. And maybe that might just be because I'm not sure where to find them. And I think it's important if we're going to talk about advocating for and finding and telling um, the stories of women across cultures that we aren't just looking at because a lot of times when you hear about women, women or um, people of color who are underrepresented, a lot of times it's just like, oh, you know, well, Latinx or black or 
Asian, maybe, <laughs> you know, but I feel that there are other groups of Native and Indigenous people who are missing when it comes to bringing more stories to the forefront, and um, when it comes to curated streaming experiences that hope to represent um, BIPOC individuals, like, you know, there are, there are gaps. And so, you know, educate us, (laughs) let us know where can we um, find more Native women who are, are film directing, who are um, producing so that we can, number one, learn, um, but also so that we can support other, you know, women who are um, producing and, and bringing these stories like yourself to the forefront. Yeah, you, you're right in that there is like a small portion or like there's a gap missing, but I think there are um, Native women who are rising up to that. So if you've seen, and I'm going to be really bad at names, I apologize um, in advance, but if you watch the movie Prey, which is the new Predator movie, um, that was a Native producer who's a female as well. And so she um, try to do as much as she could to represent in that movie. And I really appreciate that. And then there's the show, I believe it's on its second season, which I haven't caught up to, is Rutherford Falls, which is show run by a woman. Um, and it's an all-Native writing room. And there are you know, some Native or women writers on that writing room. And then um, Reservation Dogs, which is a, a male showrunner who does hire Native women writers, um, so I think there are opportunities that are going out there and I'm hoping, you know, that these opportunities reach out to more Native artists. And this is going to be funny, but one of the best ways often is to go on to um, Instagram. And what I do is I look up Native um, writers or I look up Native directors or Native filmmakers, and that's how you can find them as well. Um, because there's a big presence on Instagram. I think we're making it more of a presence because we want people um, to know who we are. I think it's funny. I think people are calling Instagram the new calling card um, for artists. And so I think that's a good way to, that's actually how I found our actors for Duke was through Instagram because they searched up the hashtag native actors um, because I was looking for a very distinct um, look that maybe they could pass as we are or Yuraka Hoopa. And that's how I actually found them was through Instagram through that tag. So I think you know, are also going on Google and searching up Native directors, Native artists, or Native filmmakers can help as well. Um, because I think there are programs that are building these um, websites to put people on there. So I think it's, it's a lot of research, but I also think that, you know, it's going to grow and keep growing as we get more Native content out there. Absolutely. And I know you have some pro- projects that are coming, <laughs> that are releasing. I, you mentioned two of them at the beginning of our conversation. Can you share some of the projects that you have um, coming up and where people can watch, support, and take a look at your work? Yeah, um, so I'm actually wrapping up on the two short films on animation and a dance video that I mentioned about my uncle Rick Bartow. We actually just did a voiceover recording, our first one ever, um, yesterday, and we're hoping to actually do a whole complete film today and have it all locked and done. Um, so that's exciting. And then we're getting music for the dance video, our original music getting composed right now. So those are the latest projects that I'm wrapping up on. Um, I'm working on a doc about Fatawa, which is um, the traditional Silet look word for Mad River. A Silet look is my um, tribe's traditional language. 
So we're making a talk about um, the process of changing um, the Mad River to the traditional name Badawa. Um, so that's been a journey. And then <laughs> I have a couple of projects. I'm working on another project um, for UC Davis about um, the return of Tolwat, which is our island of our tribe. Um, we are the first tribe, I believe, in the United States, um, probably also the world, um, to get land back returned by a, um, a city. So I'm working on a short doc for that. And then our last project that I'm working on is I'm partnering with my husband, um, who I run a production company with, on our first horror film, which we're aiming to shoot next year. Wow. So basically you are booked and busy, <laughs> which is what it sounds like. Yeah. Um, which it's funny because I never thought, you know, my wildest dreams that I would do filmmaking full time. Um, as most artists, I was juggling a full time job and art at the same time. And just like about almost two years ago, I decided to take that leap and be like, I'm doing filmmaking full time. And it was probably the best decision I ever um, did because the opportunity started coming and I think it's because you have or because I had that full-time job I couldn't say yes to all of them and now um that you know I do filmmaking full-time I have that option I also never thought um that I would be able to say no to certain projects because again when you are a struggling artist um you sometimes don't say no you try to take everything you can um but that has now started happening where I'm like okay I don't you know I don't think I want to do this project or I don't have the time so that's also baffles my mind um that I can do that as well but yeah I mean I enjoy making filmmaking and I'm really happy that the work and hard work that I put forward um, has allowed me to now do this as a job now that you've been able to make that transition from you know being a, a really you know a filmmaker or artist who has gone from juggling the nine to five as well as your passion to now pursuing your passion full time. What advice would you give to other women who are hoping to do the same? So some advice I would give, it's kind of probably my favorite advice is that, um, oh, I just said it to today, is that this industry is really hard. Um, and so I tell people, and it's probably not nice, but I, say if you're not ready for critique or failure again I've had so much failure in this business and trying to work through it um but it's helped me grow and I think the best advice is be open to that open to failure um it's okay to like sit down for a second and cry I've done that many times but as long as you pick yourself back up and tell yourself that you can move forward and you've got this um you'll survive in this but I think the other piece of advice I give and I give this to a lot of youth um because I talk to a lot of youth since I've become a filmmaker, is that um, this is not an easy journey. It's probably one of the hardest journeys I've had, but because I've pushed and kept going, it's paid off. Um, I know a lot of people come to LA and they you know, want to be filmmakers or want to be actors or want to do the arts, and they think that maybe it'll be an overnight success. Um, but a lot of those overnight successes we see are not overnight successes. They've put years and years into it. So as long as you're ready to put those years into it, um, it will pay off. I think, honestly, that is that is some of the best advice that <laughs> that you can give because people aren't typically quick to say, hey, if you're not ready for failure or critique, don't do it. But we need that. We need that tough love and we need 
people who are going to be honest about the experience of the industry because it isn't easy. And, you know, you can be passionate, but also you have to develop thick skin. And I think that's important for others to hear. Where can people um, find out more about you and follow you online? Yeah, um, so I do a lot of Instagram. Um, you can find me on Instagram at shellher89. I'm actually working on a website because I realized that's important to have. Um, so I'll be launching that here probably next week, which will be sugarbushhillproductions.com. Um, and then also you can follow um, Sugarbush Hill Productions on Instagram and Facebook. And that's where I update all the things that I'm working on. I've actually updated two new trailers for the projects that I'm wrapping up on. Um, but yeah, it's the best parts are best places you can look at my work. We love to see it. Thank you so much, Michelle, for being a guest on our podcast. I really, really appreciate you for just sharing your story. And I can't wait to see. I'm really, really excited about um, the film that you've done on your uncle, the animated short. Like, I I just, I'm excited about it. <laughs> um, so you guys make sure that you are following it's Sugar Bush Hill Productions. Be on the lookout because they have a lot coming and um, we love to see those those stories that you're bringing to the forefront um, as a Native and Indigenous person, but also just as a woman who went after her dreams and now you're, you're living and operating fully in your passion. And that's something that I admire so much. Yes, well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I try to give my best advice um, that I can, but again, um, you know, it's a journey, but it's worth it and you'll be happy. And that's the other thing is if you love what you're doing, then it do- I know that's dumb, but it doesn't feel like work um, and it pays off. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the State of Film Art Podcast. You can catch new episodes bi-weekly on Thursdays. And make sure that you connect with us by following us on Instagram at SoFilmArt. And you can also visit our website and listen to past episodes at SoFilmArt.com.